Amen. All right, you may be seated. Go ahead and find your Bible if you want to. I know there's a few people looking for seats in the back. There's lots of seats right up here. I don't know what this says about my usual body odor or what's going on, but that's a weird. And then we got my student section over here. Woo! Nope. Yeah, I like it. John, I see you. <laughs> All right, so um, come on up, Ben. One of my privileges as a pastor, uh, one of my callings as a pastor, is not only to uh, lead you guys, but then to develop gifts in, in the body. And we are blessed with uh, some gifted dudes in our body, and uh, they can teach the Bible, and I'm grateful for that. So this morning, we're going to hear from Ben Bunfield. Yeah. Good morning. I don't know if you guys caught it, but when he talked about the agenda for this morning, he said 35 to 45 minutes, so he gave me some bandwidth to work with here. Thank you, Jared. This might just take five minutes. I don't know. We'll see what we can do here. So um, I hope you guys have all been enjoying our time uh, going through Acts over the last couple months now. Um, one of the key themes that Jared has been uh, highlighting over the last probably three weeks is this idea that um, it's critical for the follower of Jesus to live a life of Christ magnification as opposed to self-magnification. Um, and I don't know if it was last week or the week before that, but he had this really um, interesting insight. And he said that the human soul wasn't designed to bear the weight of worship. Like, we're not designed to be worshiped. And when we magnify ourselves, it's like something starts to fall apart. And uh, that was really neat, and I, I got a lot out of that. And I think you're going to see some of that theme as we go through our, our teaching today. Um, so if you have a Bible, turn with me to Psalm 24. Psalm 24. I don't have your Bible, so if you guys have one of the standard Bibles and you find the page number, yell it out. 261. There it is. So we're going to be diverging a little bit from our normal teaching style today. Um, I mean, not too much, but there's basically two types of styles of teaching uh, through God's word. Um, I think it's helpful to, to know what these are. Uh, the first kind, uh, you might have heard of it as being what's called uh, expositional teaching, where a teacher will take you know, a large body of scripture or a whole book even, which is what we do here, what Jared typically does, and they'll go through the, like, all of what scripture says. And the great thing about that is that you can't hide anything. This is all God's word. We're going to share all of what it says, the good, the difficult, the challenging. We're going to look at all of it and let God speak through his word. Um, and the cool thing about that is that you can really trust, I think, the, the teacher a lot more. Um, it's easier because they're not trying to hide anything. Um, probably the more popular style of teaching today, I can't say this with authority, but I think the topical style of teaching is more popular um, in some churches. And where you basically start with an, a, an idea or a topic, and then you look at it all through scripture to see you know, what does God's word say. God's word say. Um, but one of the challenges there is that um, you go through a lot of scripture sometimes, and it can, it can be challenging to keep things in context. Um, so sometimes some people that teach that way can kind of twist things to serve their own needs or the way they want, they want a church to go, as opposed to submitting to the authority of God's word and saying, how does God want our church to go? So um, 
So I'm actually going to be teaching on a topic today. Um, so watch out. Be careful. <laughs> Take notes. Um, pray for me. Yeah, is that what you said? Yeah, pray for me. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so I'm on the, the financial board here at Riverstone. Um, and at a recent meeting, we talked about how it would be uh, really important um, for us as a church to have a teaching on um, uh, what, what God's word says about money and giving. Um, and it's also part of our vision to, over time, as we continue to um, grow and not have a pandemic, um, uh, to also have uh, some, some courses on kind of like the Dave Ramsey type courses, sound money management, how to stay out of debt, how to honor God with your money in a more practical way, which I'm excited about. But, um, but what we thought would be a good idea first is to say, or to, to go through, well, what does God say about money on a big idea first? So that's what we want to look at today. Um, now, so our, our topic is wealth and giving. Um, and a quick disclaimer, I know that sometimes uh, when you uh, hear a, a pastor or a teacher uh, share this from the front stage, the, the, uh, the temptation is to, to wonder, well, what's the bias here? And I just want to let you know, I don't get paid here. So I feel absolute liberty to share with, with you what I think God's word is saying to us, because it's not just to you, it's to me too. And I just want to be obedient to what God uh, wants us to do. Can we all say amen to that? Um, and then the second thing, we're not in the middle of a building campaign. So we are not going to pass a, a, a thing, you know, a bucket to collect your money after this today. Um, we don't want a sugar high type response to what God says to how we're supposed to use our money. I want you to think about this. I want you to digest this. I want you to talk about it with your spouse and your kids and to think about how should we honor God over time with these things, not just th today or this next week, okay? So let's turn to, actually, you're already there because I told you to turn there. You're good people. <laughs> Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask that you would uh, tenderize our hearts this morning. We just want to live lives that honor you. And we want you to inspect every area of our hearts. Um, and especially as we think through this idea of money, our possessions, how we use our time, our resources. God, we want to honor you there too. We want you to dwell as king everywhere in our hearts. So we ask that you would speak through your word, speak to your people, speak to me, and uh, help us to be a community that, that honors you in this way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The earth is the Lord's. So um, if you've ever bought a car outright, or if you've ever paid off the last payment on your mortgage, um, which... I'm not there yet. That's a, it's a 30-year deal. Um, but if you've ever done that, you get this thing in the mail called a title. And a title is a legal document that shows that you have legal ownership over a piece of property. So you can have a title for a boat or a cabin or a house. And God has a title too, but he's only got one. And under the description of property, it says the world and all that's in it. Under further description of property, it says Ben's house and all that's in it. Chris is laughing. It says her house too and all that's in it. 
Your skills, your talents, your resources, your time. The earth is the Lord's and everything that's in it. God has the ultimate title. And uh, it's hard for adults uh, to remember this sometimes, but it's really easy to see how our kids struggle with, with this idea. Um, if you've ever, <laughs> my wife's laughing in the front row. If you've ever had kids, uh, you probably know what I'm talking about. You know, one of the first words they hear is mommy and daddy, and they, they cling on to that. You know, they, they understand that word. But then they hear these words, my and mine, and they're like, ooh, I could get a lot out of this word. I like this word. I, I, I like, give me some mine. I like this. Um, we have, <laughs> we have three-year-old twin boys, and we were, I think we were just like making breakfast yesterday or something, and uh, I think Josiah was over here playing with, he had like 10 toys just kind of in his little domain he was playing with, and then I see Malachi, our, our other three-year-old, kind of saunter over behind him, kind of sneaking up like a tiger about to pounce on a prey, <laughs> and just walking slowly, and then he grabs the toy and he runs off, and immediately Josiah was like, mine, and he starts screaming at him and, and running after him. Just this morning, we see this again in our, our, our daughters. Um, and right now, I know that there's some kid upstairs that just got a toy placed in his lap. And in his mind's eye, it's like there's, there's this label on it with his name on it. You know what I mean? Um, but I'm, I'm glad that as adults, we never do this, right? We just, we're perfect there. It's all God's. We don't struggle with that idea at all. Um, but we do struggle with it, don't we? The earth is the Lord's and everything that's in it. We have to remember that. And when we do finally get it, when we understand it, you know, God is so good. He's blessed me so much. I can't believe how merciful he's been in my life, how gracious he's been to allow me to have this, this job, this spouse, these kids, this home. I can't believe it. The only response when we understand that is a response of worship. So what we're going to look at next is uh, the expressions, or one expression of that type of worship in the Bible, which is worshiping God with our possessions. So let's turn next to Proverbs 3, verse 9. Proverbs 3, verse 9. You go to like 11, Jared, is that right? Wow, okay, got to speed up. Proverbs 3, verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. But it starts with honoring the Lord with your wealth. The first intention of our heart, whenever it relates to our possessions, should be to honor the Lord with what God has given me. Honor the Lord with your stuff. Honor the Lord with your time. That's our, our first intention. That, that doesn't mean that our second intention should be to honor ourselves next and indulge ourselves next, but it means that there's an urgency to honor God with what he's given you. And it says right after that, it says, with the first fruits of all your produce. Now, this was a, a more of an agrarian society back then. We don't have that today, so we don't have produce, but produce was tantamount to our income today. And there should be an urgency to honor God with this. Not your once-a-year fruits, not your I'll wait to the end of the month to see what is left over fruits, but your first fruits. There should be some urgency on this. 
Why should there be urgency? Because if I'm not urgent to honor God with it, I'm going to allow my own passions and my own um, desires to crowd out God. How horrible would that be? I don't want that to happen in my life. So it says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be ver- bursting with wine. All God is saying here is that it'll be OK. I'll provide for you. Honor me first. Your focus needs to be on honoring me first. But then you can trust me in this, because I'm going to honor you. It doesn't mean that you'll get a Mercedes or a mansion or a cabin on the lake or a boat or all these other things that people have sometimes. None of them are bad in and of themselves. It just means that God will provide for you if you seek first to honor him with what you got, with what he's given you. Why should we honor him with our stuff? Well, I kind of covered that with the first verse, but Deuteronomy 8.18. Deuteronomy 8.18 says this, if I can find it. Okay. You shall remember the Lord, your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. You shall remember the Lord, your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. And I think as adults, um, you know, the social structures that we have, have set up um, confuse this uh, for us a little bit. You know, we, we get a job and we're, we're paid a paycheck and we, we earned it, right? We have this idea of we earned something. Or I have this skill. I developed this skill. I worked on this skill. I put time into building this skill. I got this degree. This is my effort that went into getting this degree. But here God is saying, it's him that gave you the power to get the skill, to get the degree, to go to high school, to go to middle school. It's him that helped you to succeed in all these areas. So the only response from that should be what? Worship. Honoring the Lord. I, there's no right answer there. I was just, I was just testing the audience a little bit. Thanks, honey. <laughs> Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. So um, if you've been in different churches before or if you've been in church for a long time, you've probably heard of uh, different types of giving or ways that people were asked to give or contribute to uh, the, the work of God. Um, and... Uh, You might have heard of offerings. You might have heard of tithes. You might have heard of funding building projects. You might have heard of funding international missions. Or you might have heard of giving to the poor. And probably at some point, you you felt a little bad for not doing something. Now, I want you to know that's not my intention of anything here today. I don't want you to feel bad at all. But I just want to look at what God's people were, were called to do throughout Scripture as it relates to giving and to see what's important to God. So in our next section here, what we're going to talk about, we're just going to go kind of through a brief history of how the people of God throughout the Bible, mostly in the Old Testament, were called to give. So after the people of Israel were delivered from uh, slavery in Egypt, so back in Exodus, they they formed a nation, and they were led by Moses. And after they were delivered uh, from uh, uh, Egypt, God gave them a set of laws that combined created a, a civil, a moral, and a sacrificial framework to be followed. So a civil framework, they had to have kind of their own judicial system because they were a separate nation. <clears throat> they had to have a, a moral compass, 
And there was a sacrificial system that they followed for, in the Old Testament, they had to atone for their sin because our sin destroys our relationship with God. Now, uh, in that framework, he also laid out the, the structure for thing, uh, two things, one thing called tithing and the other thing called offering. So in the Old Testament, tithing was something that was objectively defined. It actually means giving a tenth, and I think just about in every area, it's, it relates to ten, a tenth of your income. It was objectively defined, so it wasn't hard to know what it was. You got 10 cows, one cow. You got 10 apples, which would have been a terrible harvest, one apple. 100 apples, 10 apples. 1,000 apples, you give 100 apples. Or figs, maybe figs is more appropriate. I don't think that apple's back in the Middle East. But a tenth, okay? And it was mandatory for all the people of Israel. So we had a, a tenth, and it was mandatory. And um, it, this actually surprised me as I was studying this out, but there's actually three tithes that we see in the Old Testament. You're like, oh, gosh. Three? I'm having a hard enough time with one of these tithes. But there are three of them. The first one we see in Numbers 18.21, if you're taking notes, the first tithe, which was this, the Levitical or the sacred tithe. And it was given, again, it's Numbers 18.21. It was given by the people to support the spiritual leaders as they oversaw the spiritual health of the people. They were the Levites. There's a tribe called Levi, and that was their job. 1821, and right beneath that, in 1826, it actually said, but you Levites, you do the same thing. You can't, you're not the only tribe that doesn't have to tithe. Everybody, everyone's in this together. We're all contributing to this thing called following God with our money. That was the sacred tithe. And the second one, this one is actually really neat. Deuteronomy 14, 22. I'm not saying that these are in order. I'm just saying that this was another one that he talked about. This was called, sometimes it's referred to as the tithe of the feasts in Deuteronomy 14, 22. And it says this, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always, that you would learn to revere him and honor him. And if the way is too long for you so that you will not be able to carry the tithe, when the Lord your God blesses you, because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household." So this was the tithe of the feast. So basically what it um, uh, was like was basically a sacred vacation for God's people. Sacred vacation. I mean, you look at this, you think, God, 
cares about his people. He's, he wants them to go party, basically. I mean, don't go, don't go off uh, the deep end on this. It talks about you know, wine and other things. But there are a, key, a few key things here. It, it, you go away from where you, you, you lived. Um, it was to learn to fear, to honor God, so that it had a sacred component. It's to be done with you and your household, so it was a family component. And you're supposed to just have a really good time. That was the second tithe. And then the third tithe is right beneath that in verse 28. Deuteronomy 14, 28. It says, at the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the traveler or sojourner, which we don't use that word very often, the fatherless and the widow, basically the poor people, were to be, be provided for by this third tithe, which was basically 3.5% a year, a tenth every third year, was that tithe. All right. Secondly, there are a few different types of offerings. Um, and as far as I can tell, offerings were over and above what the people were called to tithe in the Bible. Um, but with some of them, it kind of seems like there might be some overlap. Like this is a partial tithe, a partial offering. Um, but, there, but there's a lot of specificity around what the offerings were. So first he had um, what, what we might call general offerings that were mandatory. General offerings that were mandatory upon a condition. So there were sin offerings, grain offerings, and peace offerings. But it was like, this is everybody's standard. If you do this in your life, then go, go and do this offering. The second thing was a general offering that was optional. We see this in Exodus 25.2, where God told, to, uh, told Moses to speak to the people and collect an offering for the building up of the tabernacle, which is the holy place where people worship God. Um, and we see other parts of the Bible where people were called to give of their own free will. You know, this is, is an optional thing. I just want to honor God and give an offering. And then the third type of offering that I see in the Bible and it's not delineated anywhere, but it's more of a specific offering. And this is where um, God shows up to one person. He taps him on the shoulder and he says, I want you to give this thing. It's very personal. We see this uh, in the story of Isaac um, and his son, I'm sorry, Abraham and his son Isaac where God asked him to sacrifice his son because his son has become an idol. Don't worry, he didn't sacrifice him, but you know, God wanted to make sure that he had a, his whole heart. And uh, I, uh, uh, we have some friends that live in Siberia, and uh, uh, they're missionaries in Siberia. And about six or seven years ago, um, we decided to go, and uh, they had a, a service trip, a mission trip. We were going to go and... Uh, meet with them there and do a mission trip. And uh, <laughs> um, as we were uh, thinking about paying for this trip and how that was going to be done, you know, most people, they go on a mission trip and they raise funds. And uh, uh, before I started doing that, I was in the shower one day. Sorry for the mental image, but I was in the shower. And uh, I had a small investment account at the time. It was like $5,000. And it was about as much that the trip was going to cost. 
And I was thinking, well, I'm going to ask other people for money to fund the trip. And God was like, well, what if I asked for that money? Is this just a sacred vacation, Ben, or is it actually something that you want to do to honor me? And will you honor me with it if it costs you this investment account? And uh, I finally got to the point where I said, okay, God, it's yours. Um, and that was hard, right? But that was, that's kind of a, a personal or a, a, a specific offering that God uh, calls people to give sometimes. And we see that in other places of the Bible as well. So rather than getting high-centered on 10%, well, with my income, what would that be? And well, 23% if I do all three? T- that's not what we're talking about. What I, want, what I think is more important is that we take a step back and ask, well, why would God be so specific with how he required these different tithes? And I think the answer is that the things that the tithes and offerings supported are important to God. So let's not get hung up and say, well, I want to hold on to this. Well, hold on. Let's just make sure that we understand that there's some things here that are important to God. And it would also be important for us all to ask, are the things that are important to God important to me? And am I willing to back that up with my actions and not just my talk? So the first one, investing in the spiritual health of your church community. Is that important to you? The second one, investing in the spiritual health, spiritual health of our families. Is that important to you? Is it important to you to give to those that are in need? God expects his children to invest in the spiritual health of their church community. He expects his children to invest in the spiritual health of their families. And he expects his children to give to those that are in need. So they got this framework. They got these rules. And they followed it perfectly forever. They didn't, did they? Then starts this moral roller coaster. And uh, they serve God for a while, and then they follow idols. They serve God, and they follow idols. And they follow idols, and they serve God, and they idols, 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 idols. And eventually, God just says, OK, uh, I can't bless this anymore. I can't bless disobedience. And he allows them to go into exile. And they're conquered by the Babylonians and the Assyrians. And before that, during that, and after that, God sent prophets to speak to the people in order to draw their money back to God. Wrong. It's to draw their hearts back to God, right? God wants our hearts. But Malachi does talk about money. Malachi 3. One of the most offensive verses in the Bible. So here we go. 3.6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and haven't kept them. From the days of your fathers. That's, That's a long time. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, well, how should we do that? Well, will a man rob God? 
yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, or what some translations say, offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. Or in other translations, it says an abundant, more than you need. Where is he going to go with this now, they ask. Well, if you've read the New Testament, which I hope you have, um, we get this idea that we're no longer under the law, but we're under grace, right? So that means we don't have to obey God in anything, which is fantastic. That's not what that means. We aren't under the law. We are under grace, but God still does expect things from us. And I think that even in this uh, passage here in Malachi, there's some truth for the New Testament Christian. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what it is. But there's a specific way that God is calling, if you're taking your notes, there's a specific way God is calling me to honor him with all that he has given me. And if I'm not doing it, that's theft. There's a specific way God is calling me to honor him with all that he's given me. And if I'm not doing it, that's theft. Ouch. Sorry, I should have put a joke after that. <laughs> oh, gosh. OK, so then we fast forward to the New Testament and the time of Jesus. And we see um, these religious leaders. There's Sadducees and there's Pharisees and scribes. And what they did is they basically turned the following of the law into a science. And as a matter of fact, they actually added more laws to the laws that God gave them to make them feel that themselves feel really holy and, and devout and righteous because they followed all these extra laws. And in Matthew 23, 23, if you're jumping around with us, Matthew 23, 23, Jesus calls out the Pharisees. And he says this, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe. And this is the only place that Jesus even says tithe in the, the New Testament. He says, you tithe mint and dill and cumin, or cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So he's calling out the self-righteous spiritual leaders. And you can just see them. Like they, it's so important that they follow the law to a T. They're so rigid, and they want to feel so holy and righteous. You're going to see them out in their garden in the backyard. They got a little herb garden. And it's like, ooh, I got some extra mint today. Clip, clip. Take that to the temple. Look at me, God. I'm tithing. But they lacked the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Further down in verse 27, it says that you are like whitewashed tombs. Again, he's talking to the Pharisees. 
while outwardly you appear beautiful, but within you're full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And uh, as I was studying through this, there was one teacher that said, you know, there's actually some middle income uh, people today that are tithing, but they're still robbing God. And I was like, whoa, my, my brain just blew up. That's not how I was raised. It's like you tithe, and that's kind of, you're honoring God. That's how you show that you honor him. Um, and my, my parents raised me to, to tithe on my income. Um, and that was a discipline that our that was, I guess, promoted in the church that I grew up in. Um, and uh, the, uh, the way that my parents taught me to do this is they gave me a $1 allowance per month for two months in my life. Two months, that's $2. And so, kids, if you guys are getting a tithe and you're getting more than a buck, you're doing good. Um, but... I would take that dollar to the bank and I'd split it out and I'd take a dime. And they didn't say that you can't give more than that. They just wanted to train me that of what I get, I need to be honoring God with it, right? And uh, then after I, I graduated from college, uh, there is a, uh, a speaker that spoke at our church. He's, he was from an organization called the Children of the Nations which is one of these like help the kids in need in foreign countries type of an organization. And again, I was just kind of thinking of, I want to tithe and honor God with my, my income. But as I was um, hearing this guy talk and the, 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 the need that was there in the country was Sierra Leone, I felt God tug on my heart. And I decided to sponsor one child. And uh, it made me think about that. And I started talking with some other people about that. And I remember talking with a friend and I was sharing with her, you know, this is what I, I kind of felt God tugging on my, on my heart to do this. I'm doing this. What do you think about this? And she said, well, I tithe. I tithe. And even as she said it, I was like, man, I, I can see like her attitude behind her face. And maybe, maybe you've had this attitude from time to time. I know I've had it. But it's kind of like, this far shalt thou come, O Lord, and no further. <laughs> it's like, what? Talk to God like that? Like, God, you can have this, you know, this uh, segment of my heart over here, but I get this over here. And I got to tell you, that, that's, a, that's a heart problem. That's a heart issue. It's heart disease. We got to let God address that, don't we? Um, So Jesus' most fundamental teaching on our possessions comes in uh, Matthew 6.19. Because this last one, he was talking to the scribes and the Pharisees this next one he's talking to you and me. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. Can I go a little past 11, Jared? All right. <laughs> he didn't want to say sure, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to summarize some of this stuff. Okay. Matthew 619. 
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be uh, full of light. But if your eye is bad, I think he's talking about our spiritual eyes here, your whole body will be full of darkness if your eye is bad. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Doesn't leave a lot of room for gray. What's he talking about here? So let's take that first line. Do not lay up for yourselves. Yourselves. Where is your focus? Where is the focus in your life? When you got your first job, were you thinking about how you can honor God with that, or were you thinking about the things that you could get with it, with your income? When you have a free weekend, do you consider how you can disciple your kids and show them Jesus, or are you thinking about binge-watching sports or movies? Or are your weekends always consumed with kids' sports, getaways, travel, pleasure, play, such that you neglect the spiritual health of your family? Now, none of these things are bad in and of themselves. But if we're filling up all of our free time with permissible things, such that there's no time for God, then we have a problem, right? God, the owner of your of your life and mine needs to be the center. So it says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, it's not saying don't save money. So if you're in the middle of one of the Dave Ramsey programs to get out of debt, to manage your money better, to start budgeting, and get on a good track with that, God bless you, keep doing it. It's not saying don't save money. What it's saying is treasures on earth for yourself treasures on earth for yourself. What are you treasuring? And as I was studying through this, I came across a teacher that said, we should honor God with our time and our treasure. And I was, some, a part of that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way, and I thought through it more, because they were basically saying, you should honor God with your time and your money. And they were making the treasure synonymous with your money. And I think the whole point of this is that our money shouldn't be our treasure. Follow me, follow me here for a second. Um, if you have treasure on earth, which is the only place money can be, then that's where your heart is. So if, you're, if money's your treasure, then your heart's here. And he says your heart shouldn't be here, it should be in heaven. So our money shouldn't be our treasure. And then he says this thing that, I don't know if I'm going to even interpret this the right way, but I'm going to take a shot. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So what is the eye used for? What are, what, what are our eyes for? Our eyes are used to focus our attention on an object, right? And we can use our eyes to focus our attention on what is godly, what is spiritual, and things that have eternal worth. Or we can focus our eyes on things that are wicked, what is unspiritual, things that are flashy and sexy, and things that have zero eternal value. God wants us to focus on what's eternal. And then he says, you can't serve two masters. He talks about money. So I, I kind of feel like that old Jeff Foxworthy, you might be a redneck if type of thing. So you might know that your money is becoming your treasure if, okay? Let's think about this. Your money or your possessions have become your treasure when you obsess over it. You lose sleep over it. You look at it more than you need to. Then it's become your treasure. Um, I work in the world of investments, but there's this Robinhood app out there. Where you can like trade stocks online. And if you're, on, if you're on one of those apps or something like that, or your banking app, and you're trading stocks like 50 times a day, it might be your treasure. <laughs> when you don't let others use your possessions, they may have become your treasure. Or when you let others use your possessions, but they don't come back quite as washed or clean as when you gave it to them, or they're a little bit dinged up or dented, and you vow to never let that person use it again. You ever done that? <laughs> it might be your treasure. You got to confess that. Or if you can't be hospitable because you're afraid that other people will dent your stuff or attract dirt into your house, then your stuff might, become your might have become your treasure. And as far as I can tell, if you can't keep an open hand with all the stuff that God has put there, remember who put it there, then it's become your treasure. And it's an idol, and God won't tolerate it because he can't stand when things as stupid as stuff get in the way between our relationship and him. He can't stand it. He loves us too much. So what strategies does God give us to fight against this possessiveness of our hearts, this treasuring things on earth? What strategies does God give us? I found two. There's probably more. And they're right around the same passage in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 6. The first one, um, right before it, it says, when you fast. That's one of the strategies. So Jared uh, talked about fasting last week. Um, strictly speaking, it just means not eating, to take time to focus on the spiritual, to focus on God. That's what real fasting is. But behind that is uh, this idea of self-denial. If you want to make sure that you're not treasuring up things on earth, you'll practice a little bit of self-denial, or a lot of it, depending on your heart. And how can you practice self-denial? Well, one way is by fasting. 
and a lot of things that ha- happen when we fast, but when you deny yourself something so fundamental to your existence as food, it teaches your spirit that you don't need things that are so unfundamental to your existence. When you deny yourself something so fundamental to your existence as food, it teaches your spirit that you can go without video games. You can go without the upgrade on your new vehicle. You can go out without the upgrade on this thing. There's things that we can go without. Self-denial. Another way that we can practice self-denial is by deliberately giving a portion of what you get away. And we see that discipline in what we just talked about in the Old Testament as it relates to tithing and giving offerings. Self-denial. The second one is right after it. Strategy number two. We see this on the next passage on anxiety. Isn't it interesting that right after God talks about our possessions, he talks about anxiety? I think that was by design. Does it ever make you anxious when your kid takes a screwdriver to your new truck? That, gave, that made me a little anxious when my son did that to my truck. It's become your treasure sometimes. In this, in this next passage, passage, it says this, don't be anxious about your life, about food, clothing, about all these things. Verse, uh, verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, the way that we tend to read this is, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you, like it's Christmas time. But the, all these things being added to you is the passive part, right? That's not the part that you do. That's the part that God does. The part that we do is we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then once you've sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you seek it again. And you wake up the next day, and you seek it again. And the next week, and you seek it again. Are we seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Um, If you're in a court of law, and the use of your time was exhibit one, and the use of your possessions was exhibit two, would you be guilty of seeking first the kingdom of God? That's all we got to show God that we're seeking him. Close your eyes, if you would, with me for a second. I want to I wanna read to you the lyrics of a hymn. It says, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures, all forsaken. Take me, Jesus, take me now. All to Jesus, I surrender. Make me Savior, holy thine. 
Let me feel thy Holy Spirit. Truly know that thou art mine. I surrender all. <laughs>